Welcome to the Wrigley Report Podcast. This big cynical Ben is your host. You can find us online at medium.com slash the-wrigley-report. It's R-A-P-P-O-R-T. You can find us on Twitter at Wrigley Report. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Wrigley Podcast. Or you can find me on Twitter at Big Ben KC. Little political, little cultural, not all baseball all the time. You got some football and hockey in there too. I think you'll really enjoy the fall. So today on the podcast, we go over all the insanity that was the Pirates series. The two games was the worst of times and it was the best of times. So the first thing we're going to go over the game from Tuesday, and then we're going to have an interview with Ryan Tadich over the trade market in New Darvish, and we'll end up the episode with a little round off on Cole Hamill's first start of the Cup. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Wrigley Report Podcast. What are we talking about today? It's been a couple weeks. Feels like it's been a couple weeks. Uh, I've been super busy at work. I'm sorry for leaving you guys hanging. But the coach is back. The cynic who always knows that at the end of the day, the Cubs are going to give it up and it's going to rip our hearts out. But it's all right because we're Cubs fans. And that just comes with the territory. I wanted to talk about player pitching. And how the Cubs have turned a weakness into a perceived strength from other teams. And this is kind of this kind of driving me nuts because having a pitcher on the mound, a relief pitcher, to do what they're paid to do is a lot different than having a positional player on the mound. Pitchers know how to pitch, they know how to locate their pitches, they know how to execute their pitches, they have repertoire with the catcher. They have an ability to have a game plan against batters. The relievers study the batters that are coming up in the next inning where they're going out to pitch. They go over video of how batters respond to pitches and how pitch progressions can fool batters. What are batters strong against? What pitches are batters weak against? What locations are batters strong and weak against? They look at hot and cold zones of the batters before they play games against said batters. They get a game plan together with the pitchers before they go up to pitch. All of these things go into being paid millions of dollars to throw a ball 60 feet, 6 inches, into a catcher's glove without it touching wood. That is what pitchers get paid to do. Pitchers get paid to strike people out. And now, after a few games for the last couple weeks of watching Joe Madden send position players to the mound to throw 79-mile-an-hour EFIS pitches, suddenly the Chicago Sun-Times sports page says that Joe Madden's a genius. Joe Madden's changing the way the game is being played. Joe Madden's thinking outside the box. Joe Madden's setting a trend that could follow for other teams. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. It's not how professional baseball is played. It's not how amateur baseball is played. (laughs) Don't send somebody up to the mound who doesn't know how to pitch. 
We were down 18 to 1. You know, they almost hung 20 runs on us. It was worse than a football score. And we got to save the bullpen. That's one thing. But when your bullpen is so beat up or tired that you got to send Anthony Rizzo to the plate or from from first base to the pitcher's mound and Victor Caratini is your guy in the hole for a setup man does not inspire confidence in the rest of us Cubs fans who pay attention. This bullpen is not built to win a World Series. That's what he makes it feel like when he sends position players to throw EFIS pitches and give up home runs when we're already down by a massive score. Well, he's saving the bullpen. Yes, yes, that is a dire consequence of being down over 10 runs. But when you're down by six and you're throwing guys out there in the late innings who aren't pitchers and don't know what they're doing, kind of miffs us. It's like saying you are giving this game up. We're not even going to come back and try. And that's my big problem. Because it sends a message that we're not taking ourselves seriously as a team, as a pitching staff. It should hurt every one of those pitchers' pride that they get to sit out there in the bullpen and watch a guy who plays first base throwing pitches instead of them. Because it's what they get paid to do. When you're down 18 runs, you know what you do? You take a reliever who's crap and you send him out there to get some work in. Somebody's given up four runs in an inning, send it back out there. How are they going to respond? Are they going to screw their head on straight? You're not saving these relievers. You're making them mentally weak. Three outs. You're asking for three outs from your relievers. Maybe more. Maybe six outs. Maybe nine outs if it's a long reliever. That's it. You're not asking for 20 outs. Okay? Your starters get 20 outs. Your relievers get seven. That's it. Okay? This bullpen is going to have to be relied upon down the stretch. And letting them rest for position players is crap. It sends the wrong message. And don't try to paint it with rosy colors saying he's improvising and he's changing the game and he's utilizing new strategies that have never before been utilized. Yeah, right. Sure he is. He's trying to save his bullpen because he doesn't have faith in his bullpen. When you have a team like the Cubs that's built on power hitting and dominant starting rotation... We've got to see some performance. We've got to see some offensive performance. Cannot rely on home runs going down the stretch. This team was built to be home run hitters. This team has not been performing as home run hitters. And I have said this entire time behind this microphone that you cannot build a team anymore on home run hitters to win a championship. Pitching is too good. You're going to have multiple guys slump. Contact hitters do not slump as hard as home run hitters because home run hitters have strikeouts baked into the cake. You expect strikeouts from home run hitters. You expect Schwarber to go up there and strike out two to three times a game as long as he gets a bomb over the wall and everything's okay. No, everything's not okay because he 
May have homered once, but he struck out three times. And I love Schwab. He's my spirit animal, Schwabs. Love the man. Would adopt him as I could if I could, but I can't. Because he's Schwabs and he's a multimillionaire. But the dude has got to take more walks. The dude has got to make more contact. That does not include the ball going over the wall. If Wilson Contreras had lifted the ball last night against the Pirates, one more foot over the wall, hit it three at four. He had 399 feet. He needed to hit it 400 to get it over the wall. Then the Cubs would have tied the game. The Cubs would have gone ahead, presumably, would have put them in a different position going into late in the game. But maybe they wouldn't have given up those two late runs and they would have had a shot to win the game outright without having that blown call against Addison Russell at third base. A double is just as good as a home run. An aggressive base running sparks an offense. It doesn't kill an offense. It sparks an offense. I'm going to back up my boy Addison Russell, who is more valuable than Cubs Twitter will ever give him credit for. The dude is solid at shortstop. Addy and Javi up the middle are the best combination we have as a team. I want to hear about Ben Zobrist. I don't want to hear about LaStella. I want to hear it. Hap, Almora, anybody else in there? Not true. Okay? Our two guys up the middle defensively are Addy and Javi. And that is it. Story over. Those are the guys I want man in the middle because the middle infielders set the tone on defense. Outfielders mop up. Middle infielders say, no matter where you put the ball on the ground, it ain't getting through. Those are the guys you want putting leverage in your defense and putting spark in your defense's focus and confidence and ability to make defensive plays. Offensively, it's different. Everybody thinks the home run is the offensive spark. That is wrong. Offensive spark's not a home run. Home runs kill momentum offensively. They empty the base pads. Aggressive running on a double, turning it into a triple, sparks offenses. That's how it works. You got a guy in scoring position, you're more apt to relax and get a single than you are with the bases clear and try to hit a bomb over the wall. That's what happened last night. Addison Russell was safe at third base. And there is no evidence indicating otherwise. None. Addy was safe. Prove me wrong. Because the film that Major League Baseball released to show his hand coming off the bag while the tag was on him was inconclusive at best. The dude only had the tag on him for a split second. And that was the moment, huh? You're telling me that was the moment. Home field advantage, the crowd will curb the umpire's calls every time. Every time. Game six of the 1985 World Series, Kansas City Royals got a call going on first base. Got called safe. He was out against the Cardinals. Got called safe. Turned the whole series. This game last night was turned on a dime because of a single call. If Addy's on third... And Riz is up. He's not trying to get under the ball. He's trying to bloop it over the middle infield, uh, the over, over the 
middle infielder's head for a dying quail single, it's going to score a run. That changes everything. Everything is changed because of that. Couldn't do it. Call them out. It was a good move. Aggressive running's good for a baseball team that struggles offensively because it lights a spark. It moves the needle. If guys would get off their high horse and stop trying to hit home runs and just start trying to get hard contact like they used to do a month ago when they went on that nine-game tear, then we'd all be a lot better off. The highlight of the season in the second half wouldn't be a 3-2 to two series victory over the Cardinals. And we'd still be laying wood on singles and doubles to play five or six or seven runs a game. And the big problem with that is it puts pressure on the pitching. We're a team built on starters. Said it before. Does not bode well if we can't get those starters runs. And then it makes it even worse when they give up runs and our our offense quits. Because our problem has not been We can't stop them from scoring. Our problem has been if we do let them score, can we come back? And for a couple weeks, in the beginning, middle of July, we were the comeback kids. We came from behind every game. We got the bat on the ball, and then we got momentum. We started hitting them over the wall every now and then and put W's up on the board. Unfurl the flag. Sing the song that it sounds like it was written in 1985. Love it? Still retro. A little too retro for me. That's another story. We're now tied with the Brewers atop the National League. And the Pirates are right there sitting at seven games back. And if they win again tonight, we're looking at five games back. And that cannot happen. We cannot let the Pirates get one up on us. Because then it's a three-way race. And that just puts more pressure on our pitchers. The key to bringing in guys like Darvish and Hamels is to alleviate pressure so they can pitch their games. And if we're not performing offensively, that hinders their ability to pitch their games because instead of going out with the mindset of if I get a three run, if I give up three runs or less, I'll be all right, they have to go out there with the mindset of I have to pitch a shutout or a one-run game in order to give my team a chance. Because otherwise, if we fall behind by three or four runs, guys start hitting swinging for the fences and then our offense falls apart. It's not about putting balls over the wall. It's about getting runs across the plate. And if you haven't noticed, we're not a home run team. The Cubs are not a home run team this year. So instead of wishing that we could get the ball over the wall, maybe we should start putting the bat on the ball, go back to our July approach, and keep the line moving in the batter's box. Because we are deadly as a team. If we do that, we get runners on base, we move them over, and Almago just steal home. He don't even need a hit. He'll just take it. So there's no excuse for this home run latent approach because that just puts pressure on our defense and it puts pressure on our pitchers, and our pitchers crumble under pressure. Hendricks, Quintana, Darvish. And yes, Hamels will too. If we put too much pressure on them because we can't score a run in the first couple innings, 
Offense got to work for the defense to work. A lot of talk has been made about us tiring out down the stretch. Like last year in 2017, when we tired down the stretch and the relievers tired down the stretch and we barely eked out a win in the series over Washington. And that's all true. That's all true. Here's the problem with that hypothesis is that wild card teams that barely eke it into the postseason often make the strongest runs to the World Series. Take a look. The Cubs, two years ago in 2015, the Kansas City Royals in 2014, how many World Series champions, the Giants 2014, how many World Series champions were the result of wild card games that gave teams momentum? The one-game playoff is the most dangerous thing to higher seeds in the playoffs because that one-game playoff gives whatever team wins that game huge momentum into a five-game series. If they take the five-game series like the Cubs did in 2015 against the Cardinals, boom, huge momentum into the championship series. Momentum is not pitch-to-pitch. It's game-to-game. It's multiple games. It's a winning streak. Royals didn't lose a game in 2014 until they got to the World Series against the Giants. Because that's what puts your team in a position to win is confidence of players to know that other players on the team are going to do their jobs. It's not about home run hitting. It's about putting runs across the plate. It's not about shutting out the other team. It's about limiting the damage. These are traits the Cubs need to have going down the stretch here. Because we're getting to crunch time. It's August. Crunch time is here. We got to light a fire offensively going down the stretch. Take pressure off the pitchers. Keep them rested. Because I don't want to have to push the pitchers to go eight innings because nobody's available in the bullpen. I don't want any position players on the mound because we have to rest bullpen pieces and we're just forfeiting the game. No, that's crud. We are winners. This ain't the 2012 Cubs. We own this division. There's no reason we can't get another ring. None. We got the talent. We got the guys in position. All they need to do is execute. They need to trust each other to execute. And that's where the manager is so important because you've got to get all the horses pulling the right way. And you got to get a horse to trust another horse that they're pulling too. This isn't a place, a team where guys come to retire. This is a team where guys come to win. And down the stretch, we got a real shot. With all the games against San Diego, with all the games against Kansas City, left to play, we can go on a roll. Ain't nothing stopping us but ourselves. So we got some new faces on the Cubs. Cole Hamels, Brandon Kinsler, and Jesse Chavez is already here. So what does that do? Hamels has got a high RA, but he's a high strikeouts guy. He doesn't walk many people. Again, a pitcher who's dependent on defense. 
Kinsler's the perfect reliever to come in. It's con- pitch-to-contact reliever. Again, a perfect addition to the bullpen who pitches to contact. And Chavez, I don't know. He's been eating his Wheaties lately because he comes out, he pitches perfect innings. It's amazing what happens when you trust your defenses behind you as a pitcher. When you feel free to take on the strike zone. When you trust that Mago's going to get the ground ball behind you. That Hayward's going to snuff out that dying quail behind you. That is going to make a leaping catch at the wall. When you trust your guys to get it done behind you, you can be more aggressive pitching and you can make more outs. Shorten innings. Lower pitch counts. That's the key. Defensively, that's the key. Good defenses make good pitching great. Elite defenses make good pitching elite. The Cubs have that capability. What are you going to do? Are you going to get rid of Dunsing? Or are you going to send Rosario back down? I told I told everybody Dunting should have worn a, a, a Bears jersey last year because he wore the Chiefs jersey. And the curse of the Chiefs is upon him. The curse of Alex Smith. I've been saying it all last season, all this season. He's got flashes, but he is cursed. And he will never again rise to the level of competitiveness he had before. And I'm sorry if it's just a pessimistic sense in me, but I think Dunsing, you're going to write him a check and get him out of there because I think Rosario is going to be your guy in the playoffs. Unknown pitching wins games in the playoffs. Starters that get turned into relievers win games in the playoffs. Reliever lifespans are short. They're like shooting stars. Everybody remember Sergio with the Giants all those years ago? Big black beard. What? Lasted two years. Wade Davis on a downhill sled with the Colorado Rockies. Araldis Chapman. Man, he burned out quick. Andrew Miller. Top of his game. To burnout. That's why an elite closer with consistency, like Mariano Rivera in New York, is so rare. That's why he deserves the Hall of Fame as a reliever, because it is so rare. So, how do you find the guys who aren't yet relievers but have the ability? Well, you take starters who get burnt out or who don't have their head screwed on straight as far as guys who panic when they give up runs everybody knows the pitchers the elite pitchers they'll give up a run or two in the first inning they'll get their head screwed on straight and bear down and they won't give up another run for six more innings and then you got the guys who go for three or four innings perfect ball perfect game three or four innings can't touch him and then the first time they give up a hit and the guy gets on base they lose it and they give up five six runs in an inning That was Wade Davis with the Braves. That was Wade Davis early on with the Royals. That was Andrew Miller back in the day before he got his stuff going with the Yanks. They're they're guys who had the ability to get outs but lost the control when they panicked. 
So what do you do? You concentrate that ability to three outs. Follow me. He doesn't have to game plan as a starter. He doesn't have to hold back as a starter. He doesn't have to watch his pitch count as a starter. He can wind up and throw a rocket and say, hey, hit this. And when you do that to a starting pitcher and you take him and put him in a relief role and he only has to get, he doesn't have to get 20 routes, he only has got to get three, that changes the mindset and that changes pitchers and that makes them better. And sometimes it makes them elite. These pitchers that come out of nowhere, Holland with the Royals, pitchers that come out of nowhere to be amazing relievers is when you change the game and they don't have to think and they just have to throw. You're going to need three outs, coach? I will get you three outs. They don't have to save their arm for nothing. They just fire it in there. That's the problem with Brandon Morrow. When's he going to be back? Is he going to be back? I think you got guys that are there already in the bullpen. I think you you narrow Monty's purview. I think he gets gets his fire back under him. You 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 use Steve Ciszek. You keep him at three outs. You keep the notorious CJ to three outs. Clean innings. That's it. I think you bring him back from where they were before and they're failing ways, I want to say. They're unbalanced ways. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm saying they, they, they screwed the pooch a couple times because they got tired. Well, there's going to be a lot of pressure in these playoffs. So take guys, you're only going to have a four-man rotation in the playoffs. So take whoever's left, be it Hamels, be it Q, be it Darvish, be it Hendricks, whoever's coming out of that five-man rotation, take them and Allow them to throw it as hard as they can for three outs and see what happens. Because that's the secret. One of the guys the Cubs have in their bullpen could be in the next amazing closer if they just stop trying to outthink the other player and just outthrow the guy in the batter's box for three outs, for five pitches, for whatever it takes. Trust pitchers to do their job. And we're right back where we started. Everybody rents pitching for the postseason. Everybody who's won a ring for the last three years has rented pitching. Okay, Johnny Cueto went to the Royals and pitched dang near two no-hitters in the playoffs just to get the Royals a ring. Araldis Chapman won two World Series games for the Cubs single-handedly. Not even, even disregarding Game 7 of the World Series, Chapman was there to win, to get him there. We didn't even have the op- op- we wouldn't have even had the opportunity for a Game 7 without Chapman. So as much as people like to throw him under the bus, Araldis did a number for us. He got us there. He got us that ring. And then last year, Justin Verlander going to the Houston Astros really sent him over the top. We thought he was done. I thought he was over the hill. But lo and behold, a change of scenery, newfound confidence, and a pitch.
pitching staff that believes in you will put you over the top and make you the pitcher that you always knew you could be, but you never could get there. Texas is a place that pitchers go to die after the 2011 season. That's it. They didn't have the offense, and they don't have the defense, and they never had the pitching. So we took Cole Hamels and you Darvish, and we're going to make them World Series champions because we're going to take the pressure off of them because that's what the Cubs can do and down the stretch. You give confidence to your pitching, and your hitting will follow. You have confidence in your hitching, your, your pitching will follow. There ain't much the boys have to do to pull this together. But I'm looking over at the Milwaukee Brewers. I saw this on Twitter last night. Cub fan Javi Man posted, The Brewers rotation consists of number one, Chase Anderson. Number two, Julius Chasen. Number three, Wade Miley. His fourth pitcher is Bernie Brewer, and the fifth pitcher is some randomly selected fan on that game day because they've only got three starters. And then there's the Tampa Bay Rays that have effectively traded away all their starting pitching, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And Chris Archer, man, he went to the Pirates. I think we dodged a bullet on him. It sounds more like an act of desperation than anything else. So use this momentum. Win games. Don't be afraid to put it out there. Because the more guys come to rely on each other, even if it's a horse race down the stretch, which I don't think it is because I think our starting pitcher is better, then we use the momentum to go into the playoffs strong. You don't go into the playoffs tired. You go into the playoffs strong. Use what the opposition gives you and then take the win from them. Put guys in a position to win in the bullpen by letting them go out and throw it, just sling it. And if the starters can go longer and Joe lets the starters do their thing, there ain't no reason we can't take this to the series. Even though as Cubs fans, you and I know We're just expecting the next heartbreak. Let's see what happens. It's Big Cynical Ben. Find me on Twitter at Wrigley Podcast. You can find the Wrigley Report on Twitter at Wrigley Report. And you can find me personally on Twitter at Big Ben KC. Now we got our interview coming up with Ryan Tadich, my man, the elite analyst in the house. We'll see what he thinks about all the moves the Cubs have been making. And about you, Darvish. He's finally throwing without pain. Hallelujah. I've had him on my fantasy team for years, and I feel like I've wasted a lot of time. But he's back. He's back. He's going to do it. So we're going to pay some bills here. We'll catch you on the other side. Wrigley Rapport podcast is brought to you by Wrigleyville Sports. Visit them online at WrigleyvilleSports.com or on Twitter at Wrigley Sports. They've got a special going on right now. If you use the promo code SUMMERSAVE, 
S-U-M-M-E-R-S-A-V-E. When you buy one sale item, you get another sale item at 50% off. It's an online only order. Limit one discounted item per order. Discount taken off the lowest priced eligible item, not valid with other promotions or discounts, and is a limited time offer. Again, if you buy one sale item, you get one sale item at 50% off. Just use the promo code SUMMERSAVE at checkout. At Wrigleyville Sports, WrigleyvilleSports.com, $4.95 shipping if it's under 100 bucks, or if you buy over 100 bucks, it's free shipping. Welcome back to the Wrigley Report podcast. This is Big Cynical Ben here with the one, the only, the elite analyst, Mr. Ryan Tadich. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Uh, just marveling at how the Tampa Bay Rays ended up with zero pit, starting pitchers on their depth chart after the trade deadline. That was, wow, they need to give themselves a round of applause. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I guess that's part of uh, rebuilding what uh... – Tampa Bay and what Baltimore like cleaned up house too, trading away like half their team as well. But that's what happens when you're rebuilding. They're obviously going to be giving the other team 20 runs a game at this point out. That's going to be, that's going to be just a dumpster fire. All right, let's go back to the Cubs. Uh, Mr. U Darvish is throwing the ball and not feeling any pain. What does this look like for the Cubs future? Uh, that's probably the best news the Cubs have had on you Darvish since he hit the DL. Um, I saw that late last night. I had heard that he had thrown a bullpen session yesterday, and I was like, oh, what were the results of it? And then I got home from work yesterday, and I saw that that he felt no pain um, while throwing. And I was like, okay, this is, you know, like, that's great news. Like, this is the first time, like, he's legitimately not, like, had any pain and felt good. And then they said today that he's going to have a – throw a simulated game um, – sometime in the next couple of days. Um, so they'll be back at Wrigley uh, this weekend. So I'm assuming he'll sometime this weekend, he'll throw a sim game and then they'll, they'll obviously go from there. But I mean, that's good news. Um, obviously anything can happen still at this point, but I think that definitely um, boosts some confidence that he'll be back and ready at some point this season. Um, and if you, you know, lay out a map of, you know, maybe a sim game or two and a couple rehab starts, you know, probably like late August he could come back. So that gives him about a good, you know, month or so to get back into the swing of things and be ready for the playoffs. Do you think he swings right back into the rotation as a number four, number five pitcher? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, he comes back, Montgomery goes uh, goes to the bullpen. Uh, that's what they signed him for. Uh, he'll jump right back in there right away. So do you think that uh, the Cubs missing out on Darvish's elite regular season numbers – to insert him back into the lineup in August, they could think that that makes Darvish a flop for the regular season, or we'll just have to wait and see till the playoffs. We'll have to wait and see through the playoffs. Obviously, it's been a, disappoint, a disappointing um, season for him, um, but I don't think his season is completely lost if he comes back, you know, for the final month and then does well in the playoffs. Obviously, with the rotation struggling the way it has, you'd like to have him in there. Um, although Montgomery has done a pretty solid job up until recently uh, filling in for him. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just more of a wait and see what how he finishes the rest of the year and what he does in the playoffs uh, before you can fully judge everything. 
Well, Cubs Twitter's got everything figured out already, and they're already labeling him a bust. And I hope that he makes them eat his words, eat their words eventually here, because that's just too much talent to have sitting on a roster somewhere paying that money. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't call a guy a bust after one injury filled season on a six year deal. I mean, um, it's not you know if he if he get if he's hurt every single year and he's missing a lot of time every single year, then you can call it a bust, but. It's it's one year out of out of six, and you know you never know when guys are going to get hurt. You can call Chris Bryant season a bust then because he's been out probably more than he's actually played too. So um, and he who knows when he's coming back from the the shoulder injury. Um, so you know that's that's just the way you know Cubs Twitter's like that. They like to you know rouse on it uh, and get all riled up about things. But um, hopefully he comes back. He's healthy uh, through the stretch run because uh, they could definitely use that boost in the in the starting rotation. Yeah, speaking of the starting rotation, uh, we the Cubs brought in the last guy to throw a no hitter at Wrigley Field. Unfortunately, it was any Philadelphia Phillies uniform. Cole Hamels makes his Cubs debut in the starting rotation. What do you think of the pickup, and where do you think the Cubs go from here? I think it's a great pickup. Um, you know, Cole Hamels is a proven veteran pitcher. Um, I know you look at his numbers with Texas, and they weren't all that great. Um, but Texas wasn't all that great either, so let's, let's right, think Texas, about that. Right, Texas is not a good team. It's a very hitter-friendly ballpark. Um, he's coming into a change, you know, uh, change of scenery. He's back in the National League where he's been comfortable with for many, many years with the Phillies. Um, I saw in, um, an, in an article that he has the best record against the National than he does against any other league in, in, in baseball. So that's a positive, too, if you're looking from a Cubs standpoint. But the biggest thing that jumped out at me was that in 20 starts this year, he's gone six or more innings in 12 out of those 20 starts. Uh, Tyler Chatwood, on the other hand, has made 19 starts and has only gone six or more in three out of those 19 starts. So even if he's not throwing seven innings of one-run ball and he's giving up three or four runs and keeping you in the ball game, if he's getting into that sixth or into that seventh inning, then he's lengthening the game and shortening that game for the bullpen, which is definitely what you need and what the Cubs are looking for. So as long as he's pitching deep into games and keeping you in the game, um, I think um, he'll be fine and he'll be a real big boost to that rotation. They didn't really give up much for him anyways. Um, so I, yeah, Tyler I see Chad it was kind of a win-win for the Cubs. New house or something because there's no way with that those control problems after two Tommy Johns that he needs to be getting this paid this kind of money for being basically a a, a batting practice pitcher at this point. But uh, speaking of the bullpen, we also got Brandon Kitzler and Jesse Chavez. Which one do you guys think do you think is going to be a bigger impact down the stretch? Um, well, I mean, we've already seen the impact that uh, Chavez has made. I mean, he pitched another scoreless inning yesterday. I think that's nine scoreless innings now he's pitched since coming to the Cubs. Um, but I think both him and Kinsler will be uh, will quietly go about their business. I think they're going to be one of those more, like, underrated guys in the bullpen where they're going to do very well but don't get a lot of fanfare with it and they'll just go about their business again. The Cubs didn't really give up much for either of those guys, just some single-A prospects. Um, so, you know, they're not really giving up much. Kinsler's under control for one more year because uh, he's got both a 
club option and a player option or something like that for next year. Uh, so if you like what you see from him this year, you know, he's a guy that can slot into that bullpen next year. He's got closer experience. He's a huge ground ball pitcher, which bodes well for, you know, the Cubs elite infield defense. Um, so that should bode well for him. And, you know, Chavez is, you know, a journeyman. He's like a Mike Montgomery. He can start, he can release. So he's that guy that can come in and pitch two, three innings out of your bullpen if you need to and save that bullpen if you have a if you have a short start. So with, with John Lester, with Quintana, with the professor, Hugh Darvish and Cole Hamels, are we going to see Chatwood pitch again this season, you think? Um, I think so. Um, I, if you assume, you know, we don't know what's going on with Darvish. It looks promising right now, but even if you say he still doesn't come back until, you know, maybe September or something like that, or right around that time, the Cubs did state, say about, you know, they got to keep an eye on Mike, Mike Montgomery's innings because um, he's getting up to that uh, approaching his, like, career high in innings. Um, and if they, wa- if they want him in the bullpen for the playoffs, they're going to have to move him back to the bullpen at some point to uh, get ready for that role again. Um, and if you if, it, if they're at that point and Darvish is still not back yet, then I see that, you know, Chatwood probably gets another opportunity to start. There's no way he starts a playoff game. There's no way that Mike Montgomery starts a playoff game, assuming that you Darvish is healthy um, at that point. But um, I, I would venture to bet, even or if they decide to go with like a sixth man at one point in September or something like that, that he's going to so get another start at some Cole point. Cole Hamels reuniting with you and with Lester, Quintana, and Hendricks, is that going to take pressure off of the former top two for the Rangers, Hamels and Darvish, enough going into the playoffs where they can find more success if the Cubs defense continues to play at an elite level? Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Um, I think it takes pressure off of you because I think the Cubs at this point are, you know, in the mindset of whatever you get out of Darvish this year is kind of like a bonus. It's kind of like with the, the Drew Smiley signing. Um, you know, he's working his way back too, and, you know, he'll probably join that bullpen in September, and whatever you get out of him is, you know, a positive. Um, but I wouldn't say that the pressure is on Cole Hamels, but it kind of is a little bit. The, bull, the starting rotation has been struggling um, you know, Lester had just a so-so outing yesterday. He kind of was brutal at his last start. Um, Mike Montgomery, you know, has trending in the wrong direction out of that rotation. Um, and Hendricks, you know, had a, had a bounce back uh, start last time. So you're kind of looking for him to be that little bit of the stopper like John Lester's been all year, you know, and he's making his first start, you know, against a division rival with the Cubs and Brewers now tied for first place on the 1st of August, so I wouldn't say that's not a, a not a pressure situation for him, but I think he's a guy that can easily handle that pressure. I see him as like a John Lester, a guy that's just going to go out there, give you his best every single time he goes out there, um, and he's not going to let the pressure get to him um, like you sometimes see with, you know, you Darvish or Jose Quintana uh, type pitcher where sometimes I think the pressure gets to them a little bit, and I think that's why the Cubs were so uh, – so keen on bringing Cole Hamels in because he's like another John Lester. Outstanding. Um, one final question. Javi Baez, MVP. Tell me where I'm wrong. 
But you're not wrong. He, he should be right in the thick of the MVP race. I mean, he's, he's one of the best players, not just in the National League, but in the game. Um, he's already set a career high in RBI. He's batting 300 now. Um, he's like one homer shy of his uh, career high in home runs. I mean, the guy's an exciting player to watch, and he's really with, you know, Bryant being hurt, not, you know, and doing okay when he's been around. Rizzo, you know, having a, a so-so season, he's turned it around now since being in that leadoff spot. Bias has really kind of been the guy that's kind of carried that offense um, throughout the whole year. I mean, he's cut down on his strikeouts. Um, I saw something the other day in 103 uh, games this year, he's only struck out 100 times while he had like 96 strikeouts in like 60 games last year or something like that. Um, he's carried the offense, and that's what, it, that's what an MVP caliber player does. Um, and just look at yesterday, down 3 nothing, and he, you know, hit the big three-run homer to get the t- game tied right away. Like, he makes those, you know, and he, it's not just what he does, obviously, offensively. It's the big defensive plays um, that he has. Yeah, whatever uh, high land well. energy he's pulled out of Kyle Schwarber in the clubhouse, he really needs to give it back because Kyle's killing me in fantasy baseball. That's it. <laughs> yeah, Kyle's, Kyle's had an interesting season. His batting average isn't there. Um, you've seen him get better on defense, which is really, really good to see. But he still hasn't fully put it all together offensively. Um, obviously, the power numbers are there. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't – I would. You, you expected more out of him, kind of like, you know, a guy like Addison Russell who's kind of just been there but hasn't, like, put it all together. Um, you feel that same way with Schwarber. Um, but I don't think the Cubs are at any sort of point where we're giving up on him or anything like that. Um, maybe the you know the offense has been uh, hasn't really hit its stride with him yet because he's been focusing on the defense a lot and getting better in the outfield, um, which you can clearly see he has. Um, but uh, plus, you know, he's still a fun player to watch too. If, you know, you saw what he did in the home run derby, um, and that was quite exciting too. So maybe he's still catching his breath from the home run derby a little bit too. I don't know. You can see he was gassed there in that one in that last round. But uh yeah, he's he needs to get that energy back. So hopefully these final two months he can, All right, uh, one word. He can get it back. Addison Russell was safer out at third last night. Whether he was safer out, um from the replays that I saw, the issue that I had with yesterday's replay thing is that I don't, unless they saw something different in New York, the replays on TV were nowhere near conclusive. Um, there was no angle that showed whether he was actually safe or out. So, therefore, the call on the field should have stayed as safe. I'm still under the impression, based off of the replays that I saw, that he was safe. I don't think his hand came off um, when the tag came down. I saw a tweet today that said that Major League Baseball showed Theo Epstein the, the, the replay that caused them to change the call, and then Theo says, I looked at that replay, and I don't see anything conclusive based off of what MLB showed us. Um, so that's the issue that I have, and that's something that's got to get corrected um, because that's the game right there. I mean, there's a huge difference between a guy on third, nobody out, you being down by a run with the top of the order coming up, and one out, nobody on base, and the top of the order coming up. Um, if that inning plays out the same way that it does, you have, you know, Addison who's on third base, you know, Rizzo struck out then, 
but when Sobers hits that ground ball to the first baseman, that likely is the, the, the tying run right there with only one out in the inning, and, you know, who knows what happens after that. So, you know, some will also say that, uh, you know, maybe Russell shouldn't have been so aggressive on the base pads and just stayed at second base unless he was sure he can get to third, um, which, you know, is a valid argument, but Major League Baseball's got to be consistent with their replay. Um, you know, and I don't see anything that was anywhere conclusive enough. And to that, my that friends, is how you get Ryan Tadich riled up. You ask him for a one-word answer. Writer at Wrigley Report, our elite analyst, Ryan Tadich, where are they going to find you online, Ryan? Uh, on Twitter, at Ryan Tadich. Um, talk to you later. You'll find me there. So the Pirates series is in the books, and I got to tell you, I'm very pleased with Cole Hamill's start last night. Looks good in the Cubs uniform. He's going to kill the opposition. But what I'm more pleased in is not just Cole Hamill's. I'm pleased in the Cubs' offense. Look at what they did. They went out there, down, down one game in the series, and they batted around in the first inning, scored four runs, without a home run because they leveraged what the other team gave them. And that's very important. It's a very important aspect for a ball club to be able to take the mistakes that other teams make and turn them into runs. Two errors on Javi Baez after he is aggressive base running, put him in a bad position, running to third. The pitcher panicked and threw the ball into left field. Now, what makes that so significant is the pitcher didn't start panicking when he had to throw out Javi Baez. The pitcher started panicking when guys got on base and moved around because he could not get an out. And the defense behind him, one error led to another, and that negative momentum destroyed them in that inning. It is not a... It is, it's a good omen that Cole Hamels was a batter before he ever pitched a single pitch for the Cubs. It allowed him to see that his offense could manufacture runs without looking for the long ball, use the other team's momentum against them, and then turn around and hand him the ball on the mound up 4 nothing in the bottom of the first inning. That's what every starting pitcher wants to have because it takes the pressure away. You want to have less pressure as a starting pitcher because it allows you to get into that groove. Yeah, he was a little rockier the first inning, but all great pitchers are. He settled down and he focused in. The defense was not helping him out, but he locked it down and he struck out batters. This is still the same guy who was a World Series MVP with the Phillies. This is still the same guy who pitched the no-hitter at Wrigley in 2015 and started the Cubs on the road to history that ended with taking the Cardinals out of the playoffs and getting to the National League Championship Series in 2015. This is that same guy. This is the guy. Okay? He's got the stuff. He may not have the speed. He's got the stuff. And the more report... You get it? It's a play on words. Anyway, the more report he has with Wilson Contreras behind the plate, with Victor Caratini, the better he's going to be. Because then they will work off of each other's knowledge of what to do with each particular batter. Guys don't know that 
pitchers coming in cold, they have to work with catchers they don't know. They don't know how the catcher frames. They don't know how the catcher works. They don't know what the catcher's calling because the catcher calls the game. And the pitcher and the catcher have to be reading each other's minds. Much like middle infielders, you know, the pitcher and catcher have to be able to read each other's minds and know what each other's going for on the pitches. So what we really need to focus on is the leveraging errors into runs. That is the killer instinct of the Cubs offense, and we have that ability when we get on base, when we run hard to first, good things happen. When we're aggressive on the base paths, good things happen. When we take advantage of other teams' mistakes, good things happen. I didn't see anybody trying to hit over the wall. I saw old man Zobrist, Mr. Amish himself, get a double in the first inning. It was beautiful. Can't pitch around the man. Now, here I am wanting to sell him off a week ago, and now he's made me a believer again. Everybody slumps on a baseball team. It's just how many guys can you have that get hot to turn around the others that are in a slump. In baseball, you're going to fail 60-70% of the time, and you're still an all-star. You have to get guys to get hits in a game together in order to score runs. Cannot rely on the long ball striking out three times a game. I have beaten this horse to death, and I'm beating it again. I know. Hits lead to hits. Especially, you can see that in the first inning of the Pirates' second game. Hits lead to hits. Okay? And on the reverse side of that, errors lead to more errors on defense. It's like it's the quicksand. You're either climbing on top of each other with positive momentum or you're sinking in quicksand with negative momentum. But the momentum is there, and it is never stagnant. It's moving one way or the other. It all depends on how you play the game as an individual on the field and how you react to when good things or bad things happen. That mental fortitude that is so necessary for championship teams to perform well in high-stress situations. Got to be strong mentally. Cole Hamels is, and our defense looks like it too. Here's the secret. For starting pitching to relax, you need to score runs. You need to score runs. In order to do that, you need to have momentum. You need to have Players that are hot bail out slumping players. Because players that are hot can get two or three hits in a game. Slumping players, as long as they get a hit around the other players who aren't slumping, they're fine. We will manufacture runs. And if a guy's in a slump, send him up there, Joe Madden style. Show him you have confidence in him. It's how you build repertoire among your players and among the team as a whole. All we have to do is keep losing teams losing down the stretch. Next seven games are against San Diego Padres and the Kansas City Royals. The worst of the worst. I can't even believe Kansas City won the World Series in 2015. That was only three years ago. So we play against San Diego at Wrigley, and then we go to Kansas City for a three-game stretch. If you want to build a winning baseball team, here is the formula. You go 500 on the road. And then when you come home, you win more games than you lose. Okay, everybody 
wins 60, everybody loses 60. It's those 40 games in the middle that's going to determine whether or not you're going to the playoffs, you're going to a wild card game, or you're going home. Cubs got to keep losing, teams losing. Right now we're 62-45, and and that is the best record in the NL, and we are underperforming as a team. We have got Murderer's Row as starting pitching. Lester, Hendricks, Q, Darvish, Hamels. That is Murderer's Row. I haven't seen a starting pitching this good since 2009 Phillies. On paper, it's all there. We are the juggernauts in the National League in pitching. And if our defense plays elite, nobody can score on us. Will they perform? That's the question. Can you get Hamels and Darvish and Quintana to settle the heck down and just throw to the mitt? Play your game. That's the question. And I'm interested to see what happens. There's no reason whatsoever we can't make a fourth straight trip to the National League Championship Series all the way to the World Series. No reason whatsoever. And I'm glad to see Cole Hamels on the team, and he is firing BBs yesterday. So let's see if he can keep it up. This big, best cynical Ben, and there's your Pirate Series. Look for us online at medium.com slash the-wrigley-report, R-A-P-P-O-R-T. Find us on Twitter at Wrigley Report. Find the podcast on Twitter at Wrigley Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Big Ben KC. See you guys later. Let's go Cubs.